I woke up in the desert. I've been dropped out of the sky. You got a name? I don't know. Howdy, partner. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Cowboys and Aliens. What the hell were those things? Is it demons? They've got my son, my wife. They'll come back with more and there will be no survivors. Hosted by Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob. We just have to work together. This here podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. Run up the horses, get some supplies. We'll set off first light. Today we're discussing Cowboys and Aliens, starring Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford, Olivia Wilde, and directed by John Favreau. I'm Arnie, your rootin' tootin' host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A. And I think this is Jacob. I don't know. I have a lot of holes in my memory. <laughs> Maybe it's just I'm trying to forget this film. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I see where this is going. Well, we are here discussing Cowboys and Aliens, the quote-unquote original movie of the summer. I mean, it is based on a comic, but it doesn't have a number in the title. I don't think there's anything quite like it outs out. And I don't know that there's any formula to follow here. Uh, we at Now Playing, of course, have done one sci-fi western before. Arnie, you and I and Brock concluded the Back to the Future trilogy with a part three that did have a lot of laughs and was mostly set in old-time California. But by and large, this is not a genre. This doesn't exist yet. We can all agree. The idea of a sci-fi western is fairly limited. I gotta say, you gotta expand your definition of genre here. Yes, if you want to narrowly define it as a sci-fi western, you could do that. But I think more and more we're seeing this mashup of genres and I remember taking writing classes back in college where that was like the new thing was mixing genres and there was a film I posted a mini review up on the Facebook page The Warrior's Way which was a kind of western martial arts ninja mashup that worked really well and I think we're going to be seeing more and more mashups but as far as sci-fi westerns go no there's not a whole lot of them but wild wild west and that's not a precedent anyone wants to follow (laughs) although i will defend the show i think the show is kind of a fun james bond as cowboy tv show back from the 60s the movie was a strained attempt at trying to recapture that show but you might be right but i guess the way i always think of it is before we had sci-fi it was westerns people thought the big frontier was going out west and then once we kind of conquered all the land on earth we were like well what else is there and you know we went from bonanza to star trek and i feel like it's hard for people to get back into the mentality of a western it's it can be a hard sell arnie i know you're not the biggest fan of the genre no i went into that with back to the future three i'm just don't like the aesthetic i don't like the era i have no nostalgia for it there's a few that i am able to overcome this on i like young guns i liked the (laughs) remake of true grit you don't like westerns if you like young guns you just like the brat pack (laughs) well the remake of true grit there's a few but by and large this is a entire era that's kind of repugnant to me i just don't like the dirty nasty i like tombstone you know val kilmer kurt russell again you don't like westerns (laughs) i'm saying that there are movies set in the west dances with wolves that can overcome the genre and make themselves appealing to me back to the future three didn't Wild Wild West didn't, but what got me into the theater for this one was Favreau. I would have no interest in seeing this movie if it wasn't from the guy who did Elf, the guy who did Iron Man. I have a lot of faith in Favreau, and so I went to see it, but I have to say, honestly, even with Favreau directing, were it not for now playing, I wouldn't have gone and seen this movie when it came out. The more they showed, the less interested in this I became. Hmm. I think that I don't like Westerns, and then I remind myself of how many I really do. You know, it's like picking medicine. I never want to swallow it, but I always feel better when I do there. I only want to see the good ones, is the truth of the matter is. I'll watch a bunch of horror, and it doesn't even have to be good, and I can find some entertainment. But if I'm going to watch a Western, it really needs to be a really good one. We need Leone. We need Eastwood at his peak. I need it to be great. I won't watch a marginal Western and enjoy it. It's not fun just to watch people put on the spurs and do the genre tropes. It, it has to be great. And so I am, I would say, a fan, but a cautious one of the genre. I'm very demanding. So I'm curious about the mashup. I need this to work both as a Western and a sci-fi, I think, if the concept of cowboys and aliens in the same movie screen is going to work for me. And I think I'm a lot like you, Stuart, when it comes to Westerns. I remember my dad, it's a generational thing. I mean, he loved the Western. That's what he grew up on as a kid. And I remember it 
at myself as a kid, he would always be watching Westerns on Saturday afternoon. And I thought they were the dumbest thing in the world. Give me Star Wars. Give me Rambo. Give me something like that. And then because of my love for samurai films, I found out that Leone and, and there's a bunch of Westerns based on these old 50s and 60s samurai films. I went back and watched those and I really got into certain ones. I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to go watch any Western. But if they're well done, I do like the aesthetic. I like the setting, you know, the lone person in the front frontier making his own way you know it has that very samurai feel that i enjoyed in those type of movies and then when it comes to the sci-fi i'm a sci-fi fan there's a reason i wanted to be on the philip k dick retrospective i like that genre now when it comes to alien invasion movies i don't know how much i'm into them i like close encounters of the third kind i liked district nine but things like independence day not really my style so we'll see as we get into this what kind of alien invasion western this film is and i love independence day not so big a fan of close encounters but i usually do like alien invasion films district nine so that's what got me in here and got me excited was the alien side of cowboys and aliens plus with a name like cowboys and aliens it sounds like fun i mean we just had monsters and aliens and that was kind of a goofy little thing here i figured they were just replacing the monsters with the cowboys and the animation with daniel craig you know you mentioned that the more that you saw this the less you were intrigued i have to say i've had this one blackout i don't think i've seen a trailer actually a full trailer for this movie what piqued my interest was comic-con 2010 I was actually in Hall H when they brought Harrison Ford out literally in handcuffs because I think that was the caveat <laughs> to get him in front of the fans to the loudest roars I've ever been witness to. I mean, you want to talk about people going ape, 6,000, 7,000 sci-fi fans seeing Han Solo, <laughs> seeing Deckard come out there and finally meet his fans. It was quite a moment. And I got to say, anybody there would have wanted to see him succeed with returning to the genre. It was just... A great time to be. And everyone was there. I mean, Daniel Craig was there. It was a real love fest. And Favreau showed just a little bit of footage. They'd been filming maybe a couple of weeks. And the only thing he really had was the stuff at the beginning, which I think really captivating. They really hook you. It's a man wakes up in the middle of the desert, and you don't know who he is, but he's got the shackle on. And then the payoff is about 25 minutes into the picture, you find out where the shackle came from as the drone ships flying from outer space and he shoots ones down. That stuff, everyone was intrigued and everyone was surprised that a movie called Cowboys and Aliens was not, you know, a men in black yuck fest. But in fact, it looked like they were going for a serious Western. This looked gritty. This looked like Eastwood with ETs. And so I've been hooked since that moment of can they pull this optical illusion off? Can they give me a really great gritty Western, true to its era, realism, and at the same time have these fanciful aliens? It looked like they might. It's funny you bring up Men in Black, Stuart, because Cowboys and Aliens is actually based on a comic much like Men in Black was, and it's actually Platinum Studios who put out Cowboys and Aliens, used to be Malibu who put out the original Men in Black stuff before it was bought by Marvel. And I was nervous going into this film because I read the comic. This wasn't a big blockbuster seller comic. Like I said, the publisher that put it out is Platinum Studios. And they're one of these comic book companies. This was put out in 2006, and around this time there was a lot of hype about turning your comic into a movie or selling your movie as a comic and the, the big template was 30 days a night which originally they tried to sell it as a movie no one picked it up so the guy sold it as a comic it became a big seller and then it got adapted as a movie and there was this big push to get published in comics first and then sell that to hollywood and it offended a lot of comic book creators but platinum studios that's kind of their gig let's create all this stuff and then try to sell it to hollywood so they're like the Rebecca Black of comic books, is that what you're saying? They're taking inexperienced little foals and trying to mend them into pop stars. Okay. <laughs> More or less. I mean, it really was an effort to get this movie made. It, 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 they tried to sell it as a movie. It didn't get picked up. So they pushed out this comic. And there was a lot of shenanigans to get this comic noticed. The studio, Platinum Studios, paid some of the largest comic book companies in L.A. and New York to just get huge tens of thousands of orders so it would show up as the number one graphic novel and diamond who's the main distributor for Ca caught on to what was going on and nixed them but entertainment weekly just looked at one of the biggest stores in new york for comics and said hey they sold a lot of this graphic novel 
this was number one. And that really got this project going as a movie again. So a, a lot of underhanded shenanigans going on to, to get this movie noticed and created. So I, it, it feels weird. I don't even feel like this is a real comic book. It, it, it was really just a Hollywood play to get this made into a movie. Well, they'll do very well in Hollywood. That sounds like the kind of scheme that will get them far in life. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats for being clever. If you can't actually sell the comic or create a hit, manufacture the impression of creating a hit, and you may still sell your script. And what really surprised me, though, this had two writers for Cowboys and Aliens, and one is Fred Van Lente, who you guys have probably never heard of, but he's one of my favorite writers. He's done Wolverine. He's done The Incredible Hercules for Marvel. He's done his own stuff, action philosophers and comic book comics, more historical stuff. So once I found out that he was a co-writer, I was kind of interested in reading this comic. And as I was reading it, I kept wondering... Wait, am I sure? Maybe this movie just has the same title? Because what I'm reading in this comic doesn't match up anything I've seen in trailers. There's no wristband. It's a couple of cowboys teamed up with Native Americans the entire time fighting these aliens. And it's this big tale of Western expansion and this analogy with aliens coming to expand into Earth and how that was like the Europeans expanding into the West and taking over the Native Americans. And then you get flying horses because the Indians steal some anti-gravity devices and make horseshoes out of it. Like I'm like, wow, I hope they don't stick to the source material that I'm reading right now. Oh, really? That sounds kind of fun, and it does sound different. I'm not surprised it is different because when I look at the credits here, five different writers are credited with the screenplay, and three more are credited with story credit. So it sounds like, and that's just who's getting credit. You know this passed through a lot of hands. I think what usually happens is Hollywood likes a concept Cowboys, aliens, you hook, you know, they've already spent their money. It's already options at that point. And then they're like, well, how are we going to do this? I think they wanted the concept. I'm not sure they may have wanted what was on print. Jacob, what you're saying is what you read wasn't making you want to see it on screen? Maybe it's because I had already seen some of the trailers. The trailers portray this kind of gritty Western with the inclusion of aliens, whereas the comic was a lighter take, even though it had some serious themes, like I said, about Western expansion. It also had laser whips and x-ray glasses. I mean, there was parts that were just, I think, a little too goofy for what I had seen so far with the trailers with the gritty realism that didn't mesh. If I had just read this without knowing anything about the movie, maybe it wouldn't have come off that way. And Stuart, you mentioned there are five screenwriters, but these are some screenwriters that I have some faith in. I mean, you got Damon Lindelof, who lost and the recent Star Trek, and then he's working on Prometheus for next year. And his writing partners, Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orki, who both did Star Trek. Of course, Roberto also did a couple of the Transformers films. Yeah, I actually cite them as two of not my favorites, but, well, you know, everyone's got some misses with their hits, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, usually anything Damon Lindelof does is smart and funny and a little bit quirky. So that gave me hope beyond the source material, thinking that with Favreau and Lindelof, it sounds like something up my alley. Well, I certainly want Lindelof to be a good writer, because if he's handling Prometheus, that's very important to me. The crowd uh, I was with, pretty small, but they seemed to want to enjoy it as well. It was pretty raucous. I got to say, I went to a midnight screening of this Thursday, not because I couldn't wait, but really it was the only time that fit in my schedule, and it was half full, and people were talking to the screens, people were very animated, it was... A lot more middle-aged men than I normally see at a midnight screening, but it was an enthusiastic, though I would say only half full theater. That's interesting because I went 7 p.m. on a Friday evening thinking this thing's going to be almost sold out, and it was only half full, which really surprised me on a Friday evening that a brand new opening film, especially as big as this one with the names this one has, it wasn't more full. And like you said, Stuart, a lot of older people, like maybe Harrison Ford doesn't bring in the kids like he used to. It was a lot of older people. It got some good responses, though, a lot of laughs, some cheering going on, and then the noise afterwards, which I'll I'll leave to later. But there were some grumblings afterwards. People were pretty vocal about their opinions once this movie ended. I had to see this because of my schedule at a five o'clock showing on Friday night. I couldn't wait for the seven o'clock. And the theater was maybe 25% full at best. Uh Uh-oh. And about an hour into the film, it was lit up with people more interested in their Blackberries than they were in the movie. Mm. 
Well, to Westerns are a tough sell. I mean, just looking at the recent box office, only a few, I think under 10, have made it over $100 million. I'm sure just due to inflated ticket prices, this one will. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that seems to be how they're hedging their bets now. It used to be breaking 100 was a celebration. Now it's like, we have to. Let's charge $20. And this film's got an uphill battle because no 3D. And no IMAX. Yeah. That was a point of pride for Favreau. He actually got a cheer almost as big as Harrison Ford when he said, I've thought about it, guys, and guess what? I'm not going to do this post-conversion. They had already been filming when the 3D craze hit, and he was just not going to let Universal try and talk him into charging more for these tickets. He didn't conceive of it as a 3D movie, and it was not a 3D movie to him, and they've already done their work. There's just no point. So congrats to him for sticking to his guns. I, for one, am glad. I mean, I have limited experience at this point with 3D, but if it was going to look like Green Lantern, not necessary. Green Lantern, Thor, Captain America, all the post-conversion this summer has sucked, so I'm really glad he didn't try to just bilk us out of that money for a poor conversion. But Stuart, why don't you rustle up a plot summary? Will do. Well, Daniel Craig is a man with no name and no memory of his past, waking up in the middle of the Arizona desert with a mysterious shackle on his left wrist a photo of a woman under his hat, and a cauterized wound on his side. He rides into Absolution, a town run by Keith Carradine's Sheriff Taggart, but totally under the thumb of cattle baron and Civil War vet Dollarhide, played by sci-fi icon Harrison Ford. Craig is briefly celebrated for putting Dollarhide's bratty, trigger-happy son Percy in his place before he's recognized from wanted posters as outlaw Jake Lonergan, a bandit who recently robbed a stagecoach carrying Dollarhide's gold. Both Percy and Jake are being transferred to police custody in Santa Fe when drone ships from outer space (laughs) appear in the night sky and begin lassoing and whisking away the townspeople, which include the sheriff, Dollarhide's son, and the wife of saloon keep Sam Rockwell. Jake's shackle activates in the presence of these UFOs and becomes a high-powered laser he uses to take one down. An uneasy truce is struck between Dollarhide and Jake, and they and a very mismatched posse of women, children, and dogs set out to reclaim the loved ones and find the origins of these creatures they can only identify as demons. Along the way, Jake falls for ethereal Ella Swenson, a woman passing through absolution who eventually reveals herself to also be extraterrestrial, though of a friendlier variety who shares the human's distaste for the green-blooded demons. Jake eventually recollects his past, how his own wife from the photograph was abducted and killed after he robbed the stagecoach, and how he came to wear the shackle. He also is reunited with members of his old gang, who briefly cause problems for the posse, as do a warring tribe of Indians. But everyone eventually has to put aside their beefs and work together to infiltrate the mothership that's buried deep underground. The abducted townspeople are found in a trance, much like moths to a lamplight, in the belly of the ship, and they're rescued just as it's taking off. Ella sacrifices her life to blow up the vessel, and the escaping demons in a shower of gold dust that turns absolution into a booming frontier town. Harrison Ford and his son mend fences, and Jake rides off into the sunset towards the James Bond franchise as credits roll. Jacob, you said none of this is like the comic. Is any of this in the comic? The mothership, the you said no wristband. Any of these characters? Characters all have different names. Here's what I kind of thought about as I was watching this movie and comparing it to the comic. You know, Iron Man's based on the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz has a guy made out of metal with no heart. <laughs> Wow, it's that tenuous? That might be overstating it a little bit. I mean, the aliens crash land, and it's pretty much nonstop action. They just break out in this war. None of the characters have the same names. Yes, there's an alien-human love story. Yes, humans are aided by some of the alien weapons, like laser whips and x-ray glasses and plasma guns. But, I mean, it's cowboys and aliens. Yes, there's cowboys and aliens in the comic. Cowboys and aliens... In the movie, and very little similarities between there. All right, I got to get to perhaps my biggest beef with this film. In the comic, <laughs> were the aliens coming for your gold? No, they crash land. There's a scene in this film where you got a couple of dollar hides, cattle rustlers, and one's going to take a crap in the river, and then there's this big flash of light. And I'm like, okay, this is the aliens are crashing to Earth. Because that's what happens in the comic, because there's this parallel with Western expansion. And these aliens, they're collecting different races, 
enslaving them. The classic gray race from like the X-Files with the big eyes. They've enslaved that race of aliens. And I'm guessing there is some kind of, it's never explained really, but there's some kind of fight on board and the ship crashes. And that kind of what kicks off all the action as these cowboys and Indians see these aliens crash. You know, that's something that struck me when I was watching this movie is how great could this have been for a parallel of, you know, American slaughtering of the Native Americans versus having aliens come and do to the white people what the white people did to the Indians, right? And start their frontier. Isn't Cowboys and Aliens supposed to take your mind to the game of Cowboys and Indians that we played as kids? I mean, I guess by the time we were kids, it was cops and robbers, but at least our father's generation. I mean, that's what I thought this title was supposed to be doing, and that's definitely what the comic book did. I thought it was obvious that that's where we would go with this story. I thought that was not even subtext. It was inherent. You're right. Built into the name of the movie is the idea that tables will have been turned and now the white man is going to be the new Indian to space invading race. And in a way, that's what happens. I mean, the aliens were coming for gold, but I feel like the entire premise wasn't fully exploited. Why do they need gold? I'm just going to say it now. This is the dumbest thing in the world. Why, if you're so smart, you can make spaceships that could cross the galaxies, do you come for gold? Bling out. (laughs) And furthermore, I don't understand this. This is why I hate Independence Day. It's also an issue with Predator. When you're a growling, scary monster, like, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Really? They're able to develop this technology? I have the same problem. They can build massive motherships, but they can't speak. To each other, even. They just roar and are monstrous, and they don't wear clothes, but they want gold. None of this makes any sense. No, you really do need to have a villain that you understand. I mean, the aliens need to be important here. And I feel like Favreau was much more drawn to the cowboys than the aliens. They seem like an afterthought. Their motives, their look, their whole defense system. Like, let me just open up and and expose my internal organs for you while I try to grab you with hands I already have. (laughs) There are problems inherent with how they've thought about this alien invasion that cannot be shaken. Let's talk about the cowboys, because that's how this film opens up. And I love this, I don't know, first half hour where we're just in absolution. Like, I love the characters. Paul Dano from Little Miss Sunshine and and There Will Be Blood, one of my favorite movies, which is kind of a pseudo-oil western. You know, Sam Rockwell. I'm always going to like Sam Rockwell when he shows up on screen. I like the world building with this little town. Like, I was really drawn in for this first half hour and seeing all the little relationships going on. Jacob, I couldn't agree with you more. Whatever negative things we got to say once the aliens take landing, I love the setup. Personally, I think the, the crux of the movie, the, the best thing about it is Daniel Craig. I always like him. He's a character actor I've followed all this time, much more before Bond. I've, just, I've always enjoyed him when he's popped up in things. And then when he did Casino Royale, I became a really big fan. I think that he works very well here as the Eastwood classic man with no name. It just I love how they've twisted that cliche and gave it a new dimension with, well, now he's got this alien artifact attached to his body. And it just works so well. His arrival into this town and the way that he meets everyone there, this first 25 minutes is great. I'll take that and scale it down a little bit. I like the first five minutes when we're introduced to Daniel Craig, but when we spend a half an hour in absolution, there's characters I like or don't like, and a lot of it, you know, is based upon the actor's performance. I'm a Clancy Brown fan. I'm a Sam Rockwell fan. I liked those characters. I wasn't so much caring for the rest of the town, and we're spending so much time in there, I'm like, okay, this is a Western. I don't like Westerns. I'm not liking this. And it's every Western cliche, isn't it? I mean, you got a guy named Doc, you got the shootout in the saloon, you got all this stuff going on. And I'm like, we're spending way too much time with the cowboys and not enough time with the aliens. And that was my initial impression was, I don't like Westerns, get me some aliens. And it took way too long to do that. And by that point, we were getting the cattle rustling and being introduced to all these people from the town. And I'm like, wow, they're really going with a large cast of core characters. And of course, it's the horror movie cliche of whittling them down till we get to a core group later on. But we're introduced to so many characters and their own little personal problems, how how Doc, played by Sam Rockwell, is a coward with a bar that's not doing too well because Percy drinks for free. And then you got how 
Harrison Ford's character, Dollar Hyde, is running the town because he's the only one with any money. And you got all these little personal dramas going on, and I just, I don't like it. It's not what I enjoy. I don't like Westerns, and I especially don't like cliches from Westerns being reiterated. I was not enjoying the first half hour, and I was really in tedium until the aliens were going to show up. I hear what you're saying, Arnie, and you're right. If you don't like Westerns, this is not going to change your mind. They're basically following a formula here. They've tweaked it, but it would be incorrect to say that there's no alien presence in this first half hour. It's just teased out. They just have things like, it's a bracelet. Well, where did it come from? Or they have a scene with some cow pokes out in the middle. One goes to pee in the river, and there's an explosion, and he comes back, and there's all these cattles with holes in their sides. I mean, what they're doing is they're building up the anticipation of what it's going to be when we finally have cowboys facing off with aliens. And you know what? I was giving it that. I'm like, it has to set up its world of Western so that when the aliens come, it feels weird. So while I wasn't enjoying it, I was giving it to it and saying, you know, I bet this all really pays off once the aliens show up. Yes, I agree. That's exactly what they're doing. And I really think Daniel Craig is the right character to introduce us to this town. Not only do we not know who he is, he does not know who he is. So he is an amnesiac wandering around discovering things. And you have people like Ella who seem to know stuff about him that are just hovering around him. And then, of course, he's on the wanted poster. I I just think all of that is so well introduced here. It's not from the comic, but they've done a very good job of culling from Western movies and creating a very familiar, believable, but nicely tweaked, suspenseful setup. I will say that Daniel Craig was one of the things... I'm not a Daniel Craig fan. I like Casino Royale, and I've seen him in some other stuff, but I'm not a fan. He's got to prove himself to me every film. And I was liking what he was doing here. I don't know that he was the right choice overall as we get through this film, because he never becomes a character I root for in this. But he's a badass. He's able to take out Percy with one knee to the groin. We're introduced to him by him killing three guys swiftly, including a knife to the crotch. So I like his character here. I think he's a badass. And he's a perfect counterpoint for Harrison Ford, right? I mean, this is the role that 30 years ago, Harrison Ford would be playing. Yes. I like his voice, too. He's done something, you know, I usually, in most movies, he's playing a Brit. It was really weird to hear him turn that around. I kept thinking they overdubbed his voice. (laughs) It it was weird every time I heard it. (laughs) I'm sorry, but his accent slipped out a couple times. Oh, it did. It did. But every time I heard that Western accent, I'm like, did they just overdub that? Like, it just (laughs) didn't mesh with my idea of Daniel Craig. I liked it. I didn't notice it slipping. I actually thought it helped me see him as a new character instead of just James Bond. And you're right. We don't necessarily prone to like him, particularly when we read his rap sheet. I mean, he's killed people. Robbing is one thing. But when people are dead and arson and all of that, it does sound like this guy is a bad guy. He is the classic kind of Eastwood unforgiven character of, like, someone who maybe we can now forgive because he's a new person, so to speak. He's had his past wiped. He has a clean slate. But when we look at the man that he was, we would not like that character. He would be the villain. What's funny is I set him up for death. I set him up for redemption through death. You know, that movie cliche, the bad person becomes good but has to die. I mean, we later find out his wife is dead and we wonder if she's just abducted, but no, we get to see her disintegrated. And Harrison Ford tells this story about how he saw this man crawl out of a flaming building and Harrison Ford slit his throat. I'm like, he's going to foreshadow what's going to happen to Daniel Craig at the end of the film because this guy's a son of a bitch and he's got to die. But no, he rides off into the sunset at the end. I was surprised by that. And I think that's the Western cliches. Typically, you might expect that in a different genre. But in the Westerns, really bad guys can prove their worth and be the hero by the end. They usually are redemption stories. Because that's the story of the West. You could go out West, become a new person, become anyone you want. Which... Speaking of becoming anyone you want and redeeming yourself, I want to talk a little bit about Harrison Ford because (laughs) Daniel Craig, I I could buy him as an action star. I didn't have a problem with that. My biggest problem was what Harrison Ford are we going to get? Because I think the last time I saw him in a movie was that Indiana Jones film that should not be spoken of ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm just going to interrupt and say I don't hold him accountable for. He was okay in that. He was still in the whatever you felt about the adventure. He was in the process of unveiling. Yeah, but it shows that he has not made good decisions since perhaps 1993 with The Fugitive. His choices have not been all winners, save for perhaps Sabrina. 
Well, let's just get into it. This man has gotten old and cranky. You know, like the Harrison Ford of our youth was like the cocky, you like his cynicism was part of his charm, his roguishness. And then when he hit middle age and his look started going, he just became an old sourpuss. I mean, really, when's the last time you've enjoyed and delighted and marveled in his senior citizen year performances? Anything post 50, I mean, get off my plane. I'm like, get off my lawn. It's just, ugh, I don't know. He really tried to bring back that fun Harrison Ford in Hollywood Homicide, but the script just wouldn't have it. Okay. I did watch Morning Glory as prep for Cowboys and Aliens. I did write a mini review there. It was kind of the first time that they did what they're doing here, where they're like making him the lovable old coot instead of just the grumpy old coot. He's still grumpy, but he's now, you know, grumpy old men type of grumpy, where it's like, aww, instead of just, what a nasty asshole. <laughs> yes. That's what I wanted to get at. I remember, you know, you have the scene in Indiana Jones where the hat gets dropped and he reaches down and picks it up. And, you know, you get this shot of him, the first shot in the film. And it was like the chick pulling the dick out in Crying Game. It was like, (laughs) I'm like, wow, this is Indiana Jones. Like, he's old and there's no magic left to Harrison Ford. Here, like you guys have said, he played that up. I like that he was the grumpy bad guy because that's how he seems he's become in real life. And so I actually liked his performance here. He's played up to whatever strength that is to be the curmudgeon. Yeah, that's a great word for it. I love that when we first see him, he's about to draw and I guess have instead of quarter a guy between two horses. He is not a nice man. And I like that. Although they pulled the punch, didn't they? I mean, he's being an asshole to the Indian who looks up to him as a father. He's being an asshole to his workers. But there's that kid and he's going to give him an apple and a knife because he just can't be all bad, can he? And I'm like, oh, man, you still got to be that guy. I agree with that choice. We still want to like Harrison Ford at the end of the day. At the end of the day, when he's playing pure villain, what lies beneath, I don't buy that ever. I can believe that he's angry and cranky and a curmudgeon because when you see him in interviews. He is usually a money-grubbing drunk that's like, eh, I just did it for the money. You know, I mean, like, it's not just his screen persona. It's kind of his whole persona at this point. He's basically an older Charlie Sheen, right? There's no more character (laughs) for him. He just is Harrison Ford. He has become the people that he plays, and he puts on no airs about it, to his credit and maybe detriment at the same time. My point is you can't sell him as totally pure... He never was that guy. He always had a dark side. But at the same time, you can't make him all villainous either. I mean, we need to like him. He is someone to like. I think that was the right choice. Now, how they chose to dramatize it, maybe it was too cliched. But I agree with the choice. We did eventually want to see his turn and to be a better father, a better man of the people. You know, he's kind of running this town. It's supposedly under, you know, independent sheriff law, but really, he calls the shots. And because he doesn't discipline his kids, part of why the tension is the way it is in this setup. And I agree. I just, did it have to be the kid and the dog? You know, it's like... Uh, did it have to have a dog? I know. That really did feel like pandering to me whenever they had the cute trick dog out there, but... I was perfectly fine with Harrison Ford's character arc about how he basically tells the Indian, get out my boat and go help the horses. The way the Indian was able to communicate with the Native Americans and say all these nice things about Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford realizes he's a shitty father and he should have been father to both these boys. That all worked well for me. It was the little boy, the apple, and the knife. There is one too many boys here. You're right. He has his own son to worry about, and I do like the whole idea of the Indian that he's kind of been a father to and at the same time treats like a slave. You're right. We just didn't need this other one. So when they're in that boat and they say that there's no river for miles and miles that could be that boat and how that boat got to be there upside down, I really thought that was going to pay off somehow and like the aliens brought that boat. The boat's never brought up again, is it? No. I agree. What a cool setting. What a cool idea. A boat in the middle of the desert upside down. Love it. I mean, it was straight out of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They have a similar scene, and that's what it took me to. And you're right, Arnie. It never does get brought up again. Oh, is it in that movie? I'll have to see that again. I've been needing to see that movie again. But I thought it was a really neat setup. It was a really neat place to have a pit stop on the road. But yeah, a a squandered opportunity, for sure. It's just so random. I really thought that this would be a clue or come back into it at the climax or something. The alien. This was before we knew the aliens were coming for our gold. So I thought maybe the aliens were coming for our fish. 
<laughs> Maybe they just wanted to do some riverboat gambling. <laughs> but in that scene, we talked about Harrison Ford. I got to say, though, I did like him in this. He's playing that curmudgeon type. But overall, I thought he was enjoyable in this film. I liked his character's arc. I just thought this was the best Harrison Ford performance I've seen since I don't know when. I agree. It's been a long time for me since I've liked him or wanted to see him in a movie. And I think where he's at in his career is exactly who he's playing right now. And it fits him. I feel like this role fits him very well. I don't know that he's entirely well utilized like so much of this movie i feel like like he could have had a better second half but that's not his fault that's not to his discredit i do like harrison ford in this movie and would have wanted to see him in a tighter script i just felt like they were really playing to the han solo wishness like he was commanding the forces fighting the aliens and all of that i i just i got many like han solo the geriatric years off of him Hey, but unlike Return of the Jedi, he actually seemed like he wanted to be in this role. I mean, <laughs> it didn't seem like he's trying to push the camera away the whole time. I, I think he wanted to have a hit again. I, I, as much as he hates going back to those old typecast roles, it works for him here. And is it me or should Harrison Ford have been called Grandpa by Percy instead of Paul? I think that they're still <laughs> trying to de-age him. They might be. But here's the fact of the matter is there is not a lot of youth appeal here. So I think the reason why we have the kid is so that little kids will sit through this. They won't. No, probably not. And maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> this thing's violent. Were you guys surprised at how dark it was? I was. I really think with a title like Cowboys and Aliens, you're expecting more laughs than we get here. They're not camping this. I don't think they wink at the audience much. Even with a name like this, and even with a premise as outlandish as this, they're playing it straight. I wish they played it more straight. Are you serious? Yeah, there's a grittiness to it, which I like. I, I guess it is because of Daniel Craig, and I really only know yes. him from his James Bond work, but that's what I expected. That's what he brought to the James Bond franchise, this gritty realism. And so I thought this would be great. Let's take this absurd premise and just play it serious. And here's my problem. The first reveal of the aliens at night, they shoot the one aircraft down, and they're like, it might be a demon. Don't know. Never talk about it again. There's a scene where Daniel Craig and Olivia Wilde, they're on one of these flying ships, never want to fly again. Like, this is where it loses it for me. If you're going to combine this future technology with this civilization that's just, you know, at towards the end of the Industrial Revolution, like, shouldn't there be some kind of commentary there? Or like, is this where Eli Whitney's cotton gin has taken us? Like, <laughs> something like that. Like, I wanted them to be commenting on this weird alien invasion that would be so foreign to them. To us, we were raised in the age of science fiction, where if aliens landed today, okay, yeah, we've read a lot of stories. Let's get out our MacBooks so we could upload our viruses to their ships and defeat them. We know how to handle this. This should have been totally raw and frightening to them, and it just didn't feel that way. My instinct goes completely the other way. You got a goofy name, you should be funnier, and some of it is funny. I mean, every time Daniel Craig kicks the shit out of Percy, it's funny, right? Give me your hand, I can get you out. Crack. Oh yeah, this movie got a lot of laughs from the audience. Mine too. We were all laughing every time Percy got hurt. But it gets too serious when the people get kidnapped and then all of a sudden it's like, I don't know where this is going. And what's you should take it to heart is with Favreau directing, the Daniel Craig role was supposed to be played by Robert Downey Jr. And that would have been a totally different movie, right? Yes. Mmm, that makes a lot of sense. Can I say, with no disrespect to Downey, I'm glad it's Craig and not Downey. I don't know. I think that Craig made this movie too serious. Because I don't know that Craig can do comedy here. He was basically, like you say, the Clint Eastwood role. I think that if you'd had somebody who felt more modern and was kind of winking to the audience, like, ain't this a goof? I would have gone with it more than this stern, dark kind of thing. I think that I would have preferred Downey's energy. Because let's face it, in Sherlock Holmes, you didn't feel like Downey was in the 19th century. And in this, you wouldn't have felt like he was in the 19th century. And that could have been what I needed to relate to this film. Because as it is, this film is keeping me at arm's length. But I don't think the script would have allowed Downey. It would have had to been totally different script. I agree. It doesn't feel like his role here. And, you know, I didn't see Sherlock Holmes for that exact reason. I, when I watch a period movie, I want to feel caught up in the period. And it just, that looked like too much slow-mo fist fighting. It just, that was too contemporary looking for me. I missed it. I like what they're striving for here. I like the fact that they said, hey, 
we want to make the kind of Western our dad would watch, but then some aliens are going to show up. It's bold, but it's hard to get that chemistry right. And I think and in trying to be true to the Western, not only did they not make a particularly good sci-fi story, but it's really tough. I mean, it's blood spattered. I mean, I feel like people get punched in every scene in this movie. <laughs> I like how they're trying to keep the aliens true to a Western, I guess. I mean, they're relating in ways that if this had been written in the 1800s, you might have gone with. What do the aliens want? They want gold. Why? Well, everybody wants gold. And what do they do when they abduct people? They rope them. I mean, it's called out in the movie and I didn't catch it, but right. yeah, when they abduct, they might as well have a lasso on their ship. So I respect that they tried to do that. It didn't interest me or entertain me, but I respect what they were trying to do. A for effort. Uh, no, I, I give him a C for effort. It was lazy. If this was more of that Robert Downey Jr. comedy, I could go with the aliens are wrestling up humans with lassos and they're panning for gold. I would be able to go with that more because they played this off more gritty, more realistic. I wanted to see alien invasion movies that make logical sense. District 9. Okay, we have these aliens that are basically refugees that their planet wanted to get rid of. We're going to throw them off to another planet to deal with. Like, that makes sense. Or even Close Encounters, where it's a positive thing. If you're going to get this alien invasion, V, that was done in the 80s. That worked for me. They needed natural resources because their planets had dried up. But gold? And we're going to rustle them up with lassos? And why do the aliens show up when they do? They only show up when Daniel Craig's in danger. You know, he's about to be hauled off to the sheriff. Aliens show up so he could get set free. He's being chased by his old gang. Aliens show up so he could get free. Like, there's no logic. Why do they even attack the town? It, uh, it really doesn't even make any sense. Yes. That's what I'm saying. We find out Craig was abducted because he had a pile of gold and the aliens are panning for gold. And that's why he abducted him and his wife. There's no gold present throughout the rest of this movie when they attack. It's just for convenience. And more, they say later on, we find out Olivia Wilde's an alien, and the reason they're abducting us is to find our weaknesses so that they can obliterate us and take the whole planet's gold. If they are such a superior race where they have all this technology and everything, you know, we're not really that indestructible. They kill us a variety of ways, right? You can slit our throat, you can decapitate us, you can squash us. They say that we're like flies to them. I don't spend hours and hours studying the multitude of ways I can kill a fly. I just grab the swatter and go. Or you just put up a fly strip and let the flies <laughs> kill themselves yeah. off. I mean. So the whole abduction thing doesn't pay. Anything with the aliens is poor here. It is all poor. I like the idea but nothing they did is right. First of all, the character design. It's right out. It is stolen. It's like they were too lazy to create their own character design. They just took the first alien from Men in Black 1 and used him, right? I mean, basically. It well, again, Arnie, this comic book came from the same company as Men in Black, and they were pretty true to how they were in the comic. I haven't read those Men in Black comics, so maybe the guy just stole it from his previous creations. You see, and that's what I'm saying, is if Robert Downey Jr. had been in the lead of this, we would have had a Men in Black type of vibe, right? With Harrison Ford as Tommy Lee Jones. So it would have been a Wild Wild West that would have worked. Well, to be seen if it would have worked or not, but you're right, it would have been that. I'm going to stick to my guns here and say, no, I don't want that movie. That's the obvious choice. They took the less traveled road here, and I appreciate that. I, I know they weren't successful. Again, A for effort, F for execution. Yes, not F for execution. You're, you're a little tough, and I think it's because you don't intrinsically enjoy Westerns at all. You're right, not F, but certainly D+. plus. <laughs> I will say this much. I am tired of going to movies, particularly summer movies, and being asked to ask questions and not being rewarded for it. And that's what the second half of this movie felt like. I couldn't believe I was in yet another movie where almost nothing really pays out. Where nobody asked some fundamental questions that anybody sitting in a theater would want to know watching a movie about cowboys and aliens. And I just got to wonder, you mentioned some of these writers here worked on Lost. I'm wondering maybe if that's not the problem. There's a show that was always tease and never would give you the answer. It was all about getting to the next episode. And that's what these scenes feel like. Well, maybe we'll tell you later. Maybe we'll tell you later. When the answers come, they are not satisfying or they never come at all. And I feel like the problems I have with Cowboys and the Aliens are intrinsically with how the second half plays out, how it's written. Everything else could have worked if they were able to tell me satisfactorily why aliens were here for our gold. Is it just me or does it feel like the makers would just prefer a film called 
cowboys and the aliens were like an afterthought because I just couldn't believe how many groups of people they keep encountering. They encounter Jake's old gang and then there's a fight and they don't trust each other and eventually they come to the aid. They encounter a group of Native Americans and then there's a fight and I'm like, where are the aliens? This is like cowboys versus cowboys and cowboys versus Indians. Where the hell are the aliens in this? They're just like, the aliens were an afterthought and it frustrates me because that's the part that's going to interest me is the alien part and it gets such the short shrift. Well, the aliens are here, Arnie. They just aren't these bug creatures. It's Ella. That's yeah. She's our alien character for much of the movie. She's a mysterious force. We know something's up with her. When did you figure it out? The moment she was introduced on screen, because she had these weird eyes. <laughs> she does have weird eyes. She's got real presence here. I don't know this actress. What's she from? Well, we saw her in Tron Legacy. Oh, okay. Was she good in it? No. Yeah. She played much <laughs> I thought she much, played much the same role. She kind of <laughs> sat around and looked pretty. Okay. Well, yeah, she's really beguiling. I really think she's got real innate – when she's on the screen, you look at her. And not just because she's pretty. I mean, I think there's lots of pretty people that aren't cinematic. You know, when you put supermodels in movies, usually they give bad line readings and you're not into them. I really like Ella. I really think she works for this character. I honestly knew she was going to be an alien from the very beginning. Either that or she was a really poor actress because she's the one who felt out of place and she knew too much about Jake. And you know what I got a flashback to here? I hate to say this and you're going to laugh. Critters. (laughs) You're correct, sir. How could I not? I mean, I felt like the big aliens were the critters that came. And the moment Ella walks on screen, I'm like, she's the alien bounty hunter that's chasing the critters. And she's the one who's going to tell us all how to fix them. That's what I felt. Critters were about outer space, like porcupines that shot like needles, right? Right. But there were also humanoid space bounty hunters that came to Earth chasing the critters. Oh. And that's why Ella reminded me of critters. I'm like, oh, boy, they're taking the critters formula again. I hate when they're always ripping off critters, which, by the way, ripped off gremlins, but whatever. While there's not a straight analog for Ella in the comic book, there is the alien female interest. So I kind of figured early on that that's what she was going to play because she was kind of annoying me at the beginning of this film because she was just always showing up for no reason. She's the one that puts Craig down when nobody else can take him down in the bar. She's the one. I mean, that's what made me interested was that she seemed to want to talk to him. There seemed to be she's like, you don't remember. Then why doesn't she just talk to him? That was my frustration is just. Get it out. Stop teasing it. We know something's up. And she just annoyed me until the reveal. Well, all this movie is is tease. That's what I'm getting at here. I feel like there's so much that's great about the suspense of this. But once you find out how he got the bracelet, it's like, oh, I was just slapped on. Oh, you know, like they're lazy answers to great teases is what I feel. And maybe that's my impression of Lost. I didn't really stay with that show. But I saw a couple episodes and I thought, this is really interesting, but I bet you it doesn't pay off. It did pay off in the end. But we're not doing a Lost retrospective. I really thought like the bracelet would be something that Ella gave him at some point. You know, it was the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator to fight the Liquid Terminator, that kind of deal. But no, like you're right, Stuart. It's just like, no, he stole it. He scarred one of the aliens so we can know that scar guy will show up later at the climax of the film and they'll fight. Big deal. Here's what bothers me is Ella. You know, if you're this advanced alien, the last of your species, and able to shapeshift, you're very intelligent. You come to Earth at a time when women are second-class citizens and just become (laughs) an attractive female. This makes no goddamn sense. (laughs) Furthermore, why not just shapeshift to look like the bad aliens, steal one of their bracelets, blow up the ship? Don't got to worry about the rest of the film. I'm feeling baziness all over, aren't you, Arnie? <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's like they wanted some TNA, they needed an attractive female, and there had to be a reason for one to ride with the group. There was no real reason for the dog, but we got to give a reason for the woman. I thought he would get back with his wife. I mean, that was something. I mean, that was a way, way to handle it. But you're right. I think they wanted to do two things at once. They wanted to give him a love angle, and they wanted to get us an alien constant because they knew most of the movie was about a posse riding after the aliens on the horizon. So there needed to be someone there with the Indians, with the outlaws, with the posse who could represent ETs. Okay, but if it's an intelligent shapeshifter, it should be a dirty old man like the rest of the town. If it can't shapeshift, make it a snarf. I don't care. But making it a hot woman with bug eyes? Eh. 
Just not buying it. I'm not going to dispute this. It is foolish like many of the other choices. I am just going to say Olivia Wilde's fun to watch in this movie, and I did enjoy her chemistry with Daniel Craig. I felt like in the second half, these were the scenes I cared about. Really? You were convinced that he wanted to make out with her instead of actually checking out this alien he just killed? Like, if you're trying to fight aliens and you just killed one, you know, even in Independence Day, Will Smith dragged an alien all the way back to the base so they could find out what they're fighting. Like, I felt like (laughs) these are the dumbest people in the world. They, they don't question these aliens that they're fighting. They're not trying to find their weaknesses. We'll just team up with the magical Indians who will help us out. And, of course, they do have the magic to restore memory. I'm just going to say it now. <laughs> I was offended by the betrayal of Native Americans in this film. First of all, you know, maybe it's because Harrison Ford, but I had flashbacks to Return of the Jedi and Ewoks. Like, I felt the Native Americans were the Ewoks <laughs> in this film. You know, they don't want to help out the cowboys until, ooh, the magic god appears from the fire, like C-3PO. And then they're like, okay, we'll help you. We're on your your team now. The chief doesn't want to follow Dollar Hyde's orders until the Indian, you know, plays Uncle Tom and says, well, he really did raise me as a son, even though I'm a different race. Okay, we'll help you. You're not wrong, and I actually thought Return of the Jedi at the very end, and I think it's because Harrison Forrester, they blow up the Death Star, they go through a tunnel, chased by the enemy, and then blow up the Death Star. Yes, they blow up the Death Star and the Indians are doing the... I'm waiting for Num Num song to start. It, it's really weird. I know we'll talk about Captain America next year, but I feel like we have this really weird climate where we... We're almost like the Germans who don't want to face our past. We, you know, we get World War II movies without Nazis. Don't even get me started on Mel Gibson's The Patriot where we got slaves, but they ain't really slaves. <laughs> I think they throw his wedding. <laughs> yeah. and, and then we get this film where we're going to portray the Indians as the savages without any context without showing what the white man was doing to the native americans they really just come off as you know savages like in king kong attacking this group of people throwing their women in the fire like it's really offensive that in 2011 this is how native americans are going to be portrayed and let's face it though it's not entirely inaccurate but there were reasons for it there was no context here yes that's i think uh, what i'll agree with you here i don't mind that at first we see them as savages or we think of them as backwards, I think that is accurate if our identifying characters are the white posse people. But you're right. You need to make the turn. And you're right. They just missed the whole story here. The story would have been for the white man to come to understand the Indian because of what was happening to him by the aliens. Yeah, not the rich millionaire to always get his way, like Dollar Hyde does. Exactly. Wouldn't it have been nice for Harrison Ford to get his comeuppance? I mean, we just talked earlier this show about how he's, you know, this money-grubbing curmudgeon. Wouldn't it have been nice <laughs> for him to once be proven wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I just, uh, in the second half, I really don't even have much to say about the rest of the movie because I feel like everything that they do in the second half of it is teasing things that they don't have answers to and doesn't give the story that they were headed. I mean, they're just off the range at this point. I I can't go with them. You're right there with my audience. My entire audience, the second half of the movie, was on the BlackBerry, and even I pulled out my iPhone to check the time to see how much longer I had to endure. Already, I asked my wife afterwards, I'm like, what do you think of the film? It was long. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was the extent of her thoughts in this movie. And I agree. The second half of the film, the only thing I enjoyed as far as performance, as far as story, anything, every time Sam Rockwell got a line, I smiled. Yeah, I like Sam Rockwell a lot. He's fun. All the characters are fun, though, aren't he? I don't think you can say that any of them aren't doing their job, but he has a more fun role. They're doing their job, but they're not fun. Yeah. No, I like these characters. I want to see them in another movie. I agree. (laughs) Like, that's how much I like these characters. Just do a good movie with them. Yes. I would like to see them in a movie that had more aliens that were actually attacking. and Because it felt to me like very much the aliens were there and they were the MacGuffin of the film, but they weren't really the enemies until we get to this last half hour big battle. They were just a reason to bring these people together, not an actual plot. Well, they didn't even make an entertaining battle. Like, they dropped this line, well, they can't really see that well in sunlight, because now we're fighting the Morlocks, because (laughs) the most advanced race of aliens are freaking Morlocks that can't be out in the sun. They can't put on sunglasses, but they can steal our gold. Yes! And yet, do we see them hindered by the sun at all? No. They're still able to jump and knock people off their horses, even though they have laser beams on their hand. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not even going to go into it. I'm not even going to go into all the problems that I have. In a word, baziness. There are just there are too many things wrong with the second half of the story. There are too many things that don't add it. It hurts. I'm tired of sitting in a movie theater where I care more about what's going on than the people making the movie. And I wouldn't have expected that from Favreau. That was the shock. 
the bigger problem is it's not even even entertaining action. It's the most rote action I would have seen in the 90s. I mean, you set up Daniel Craig as this character that's a really good hand-to-hand combat fighter, but in the climax, what's he doing? He's standing in a tunnel shooting people. That doesn't even make sense for the character that you've established as this great close-range fighter. Right. If he had been a marksman, it would have been more of a payout. I have one big problem with the ending. I could just agree to just write this all off, but my biggest problem with the ending, Jake and Ella go inside the ship, and she gets him to take off his wristband by kissing him, whatever, and she turns it into a detonator, whatever, and she's going through the tunnel to the heart of the thing, right? And she's carrying this bomb, and she's going to sacrifice herself to blow up all the aliens. But right behind her is an alien, and we get like eight shots, right, of her crawling and this alien behind her. Oh, Artie, Artie, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. (laughs) And then she gets to the heart and blows it up. The alien chasing her is the most losery alien ever. (laughs) I'm actually kind of surprised that they paid off the kid using the knife and Sam Rockwell actually able to hit a target in this film because there's so much like this misdirection. Like with that alien, it doesn't make any sense that he doesn't grab and pull her at the last second. He never even touches her. He's supposed to pull her out and she needs to fight her way back in. It needs to be a challenge. This would be like if you're watching a movie where a bomb's about to detonate and they detonate it with 90 seconds to go. Yeah, yes, I agree. And I want to echo what you're saying about, in general, the action in the second half. I felt like the setup was fun. I really felt like the first shootout with the drones was fun. But when we're finally getting into the big battles, I don't feel like these are accomplishing even what Michael Bay would do in some of his big battles. I feel like they're pretty boring. And I could raise questions like, why didn't the cowboys cut off the aliens' arms and take their blasters? But why bother? I, that's what I mean. I don't want to go there because I have a whole... That's that's all my notes for the second half of the movie. I don't want to be Harrison Ford. I don't want to complain to you for two hours about what this movie didn't do for me. All I can say is that they had a really fun, intriguing setup and were going in a bold new direction. And then they just said, nah, let's just do some crazy stuff and we can go home. And I want wondering if this wouldn't have been better served as a TV series. Honestly, you would have had time to set up the aliens and tease it out as they want to and not have to have them even leave, which doesn't make any sense. I would be down for that. If they want to reboot this as a show, I will tune in. But as a movie, as a standalone adventure, they just didn't take the story where it needed to go for a two-hour tightly contained script. I agree completely, with the exception of if they made this a TV series, I wouldn't watch (laughs) Well, I guess this leaves. Jacob Stewart, can you rustle up a recommend for Cowboys and Aliens? Jacob. You know, I started off this podcast by saying how much I dislike the comic. And after this movie, I actually liked the comic more for all the goofiness and how mediocre it was. It was at least entertaining. You know, at least you did get those flying horses. This movie, it's shocking how rote it is, how cliche it is. Like, I talked about the grumblings I heard around me after the film. There's this group of guys behind me, and one of them, you know, I overhear one. He's like, well, it it wasn't supposed to be a game changer. It's just supposed to be a summer popcorn film. You got to enjoy it on that level. I don't think you could enjoy it even on that level. Like, it's just boring action. Like I said, I was more interested in the first 25 minutes with these characters. I liked the Western stuff. I like the town. I wish I could have got some drama just set in this little village and just call it Cowboys. But the rest of this film, do I need to say any more? I think we've complained about it enough. It's just boring, mediocre. Arnie, you say A for effort. I say C for effort, D for execution, which makes it a not recommend. Stuart. Well, you know, I'm going to equate this to recently I was at a bookstore and picked up a copy of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is another (laughs) mashup of genres. It's a Jane Austen costume drama which also has zombie invasion horror elements to it. And I thought, how hilarious! This will be so much fun to read. And about 80 pages in, I just stopped because the novelty wore off. And I, it's identical to my experience here. How fun is it to bring aliens and cowboys in the same movie? Well, it's fun for about 35 minutes. And I really did like those 35 minutes. But the rest of the 90 minutes to follow became increasingly more of a chore to sit through. And it's okay. You know, I think I le- enjoyed it much more than you did, Jacob. And I'm sure I enjoyed it more than you, Arnie. But just because this summer has been a famine of entertainment doesn't mean that I can give this a pass. It's been better than Green lantern i liked it more than transformers (laughs) 3 but at the end of the day 
maybe that's just because it hit some of my sweet spots, but it's not really a good movie. It's not a recommendable movie. So most assuredly on the not recommend side of the fence. I'm a solid not recommend. You know, I mean, this film is competently made. (laughs) You know, I've recommended films that were made worse. But the problem with this film for me is, first of all, I'm not a fan of Cowboys. I am a fan of Alien films. But this film is far too much Cowboys and not enough Aliens. And we spend too much time developing too many Cowboys and no time spent developing any Aliens, with the exception of Ella. And even she is poorly developed. The entire motive explanation is shoddy. And I am shocked at how disappointed I am in this film. And for the first half hour, I was giving it that half hour to set up the characters, set up the situations and things that would pay off when the aliens came. And so I was really giving Favreau and Lindelof the benefit of the doubt. And not only did I not enjoy this film, but it has really made me go back and question Favreau in general now. Because with Favreau, I've seen all of his films but Zathura. And I hear good things about Zathura, but I now wonder, I take it a lot of the problems that I've had with Iron Man 2, which I discussed on our individual review, and I'll discuss again next year when we get to the Avengers reviews, but I didn't blame Favreau for them. I'm like, well, he made Iron Man, obviously the studio meddled too much, and things just weren't in his control. But now with this, I'm wondering if Iron Man was just a nice fluke, and perhaps the man isn't that good. Perhaps he just is Iron Man 2 level of average, and you can give him a budget, and he'll keep things in focus and keep the effects on, but I now have lost the reason I was interested in Cowboys and Aliens was because of Favreau, specifically. If anyone could have made Westerns work, I would have thought it would be Favreau. And it didn't. In fact, it was just a poor movie all around. He does not get that from me anymore. Now he's got to sell me on the premise before I will not see movies based on Favreau's name anymore. Wow. So if this should be a hit and pull it out of the fire and become a franchise, you're not on board. Not at all. And you know who I really feel bad for is at Comic-Con this year, there was this huge hunt for the gold bricks. So you could see Cowboys and Aliens at Comic-Con a week before it came out. And people were stalking Twitter and stalking Favreau trying to get these gold bricks. You put more effort into seeing this movie than I think the filmmakers did into making this movie. And I feel so bad for you that you spent a couple hours of your Comic-Con trying to get a gold brick and then a couple more hours watching this movie when you could have actually just had fun on the exhibit floor. That's who I feel sorry for. Not recommend. And no, I don't want to see a sequel. I have no fears that there will be a sequel. This is you know, 30 Days of Night all over again. A comic that was adapted to a piss-poor movie that everyone's going to forget in six months. I kind of like 30 Days of Night, but I hear what you're <laughs> saying. It is totally forgettable. It's not a franchise here. If they had designed it as a TV show, you might have kept watching, but that's because it's free. No one's going to watch this. No one's going to pay to come back to see this again. I mean, even without 3D, I paid $13 to see this. It's not that kind of movie. It's just not good enough to drop what they're asking for at the movie theaters. They've outpriced themselves. Well, guys, I guess this really is a crappy summer because other than (laughs) X-Men... I don't know of a movie that we've liked that we've seen. And Super 8. We didn't review that one. I I don't know what's happening, but no one enjoys coming into a movie like this where it's an original idea and we have a fresh chance to start a new franchise and find out, nope, it's another dead end. But that's what my experience is. You're right, it's real disappointment. And not only is it disappointment in Favreau or these writers, but Spielberg's name is on this. I mean, Ron Howard, these are uh, people that produce a lot of big hits. And I'm wondering if anyone is happy with how it panned out. But let's keep hoping because we've got a couple more weekend of release reviews coming out soon. First, Jacob, UI, and Brock are going to reach the fifth final destination. Is this the most ultimate one? Will this be the one to finish it off? I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. If you've been listening to those reviews, I've been enjoying these films so far. And then, Stuart, UI, and Brock go to some television for Fright Night. Yes, starting next week, and I have no expectation for the movie. I don't even know what to think of it, other than I like the cast and have not been sold by the trailer, but I really do remember loving that movie from the 80s, so I'm looking forward next week, the 1985 Fright Night. We're going to be watching that. I think it streams on Netflix, so if you subscribe, you can see it at relative ease, Fright Night 2, and then this Colin Farrell reboot in its 3D, right? Yes, it is. Filmed in 3D, though, so that's a plus. Okay. Both of these movies are... Fright Night and Final Destination 5. Okay, well, uh, I'll try to go for my fourth 3D film and see how it goes. All right, well, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me, and we'll be back on Friday with Final Destination 3. We'll talk to you then. 
Thank you for listening to this here episode of Now Playing. Grab your guns. We're right now. Remember to giddy up on back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week to hear a new movie review. Coming back! And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can rustle up reviews of other films such as Terminator, X-Men, Star Trek, Predator, and many more. Turn around and start walking. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to mount on up on our forums where you can discuss our reviews with other listeners. Said, turn around and start walking. Y'all can also follow the Now Playing at Facebook and the Twitter where we post announcements and new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. What is that thing? Why are you asking me? Because you shot us. Support from partners like you help keep Now Playing keep on riding. I figure you owe me. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I need that weapon. It's the only thing that counts. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing duds like t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. A link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Where'd you get your bracelet? I don't know. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Wouldn't do that if I was you. Credit narration by that city slicker, Brock. Should we step in? It's like he's doing fine. Now Playing is not affiliated with Platinum Studios or Universal Pictures. Cowboys and Aliens is a property of Universal Pictures. No infringement is intended. Turning you over to Federal Marshal. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts. And may not reflect the opinions of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's not your lucky day, Stanley. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2011. All rights reserved. Infiltrate the alien mother sheep. Oh. Mother infiltra- sheep? <laughs> that sounds like a different type of western. Ooh. I'm going to infiltrate the mother sheep. Woo! That was in the uh, NC 17 <laughs> cut, which I did see on Skinamax. <laughs> really late. With really- sheep? Ooh, really? Yeah, it was something. That sounds bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Paul Dano from. Little Miss Sunshine, and then There Will Be Blood, one of my favorite movies, which is kind of a pseudo-oil western. I know I'm from The Girl Next Door. Of course you do, Arnie. Of course you don't know him from his serious <laughs> works. <laughs> Why would like, you watch anything that's good with him in it? <laughs> what teen comedy did he have to do early in his career that he's embarrassed by? Arnie's seen it three times.